Hello and welcome back to Between the Cuffs. Last week we were working on our Kink 101 series, diving into the world of masochism, and today we're going to be jumping into a 102 level discussion on masochism. We're going to be talking about a couple of basic concepts, as well as some of the more advanced activities, and would also like to take this opportunity to let you know that in today's episode we will be discussing needles and blood in depth. If you have an aversion to either of those topics, I would like to encourage you to circle back next week as we will be continuing our Kink 101 course by discussing DOM and subdynamics. I am really excited for today's interview because I am going to be talking with somebody who I really admire and I constantly find myself looking at their art. I think that the way he utilizes his masochism honestly makes me want to be a better masochist and that's why he's the caliber of person with whom I keep in my life. So before I go gushing away all my time today, let's just dive right in. Okay, so something that I like having guests do when they come interview with me is introducing themselves and then anything that they identify with and then providing a little bit of background info about them just to kind of let us get to know them as a human and kind of get the sense of what they do on and off camera, so I'd love to give you the floor right now so you can show us who you are in any any sense of that word. Thank you. Yes. Um, I'm known online as Boy Mischief. Um, you can find me at Boy Mischief 666 on most platforms or just at Boy Mischief. Um, I am a porn maker, I am a sadomasochist, and I am a lifestyle freak. That's usually how I like people to see me and how I like to describe myself. So something that I like to identify with is 24-7 lifestyle play, which comes across in both like my work and my personal life. So that's something that shows its head a lot. Um, I feel like that about covers it. That's great. Uh, as a lifetime player to another lifetime player, it's, yeah. a, it's a huge pleasure to have you here. Um, on our episode last week, we were kind of doing a masochism 101, where we dove into some foundational knowledge about what masochism is, both in a kink setting and how it comes to play in the real world around us, as far as like people who eat spicy food or people who do ballet, yeah. and so masochism as a concept as well. Um, today, I'm going to be interviewing you at a 102 level, and we're going to dive a little deeper specifically into masochism with kink. And so the first question I had for you was, was there a big moment where you discovered that masochism was for you? Like, do you remember when that light switch was flipped on for you? Okay, so this is actually something that I've been thinking about a lot recently, because I've been consuming a lot of literature that explores people's epicenter with their kink, and their realization with like their proclivities towards it. I have done so much thinking about mine in particular, and I think it's been really particularly difficult for me to nail down because masochism has always been very built into just my day-to-day -day life, even outside of kink and well before it. So I think that when it comes to an inciting point of realizing that kink was for me, that doesn't necessarily exist, but what does exist for me is a realization of knowing that I suddenly had like all the tools and resources available to me to begin like actioning those desires and whatnot that had existed already for a long time without having like an epicenter for it. But suddenly I was just aware that like there was nothing stopping me from exploring these things. And that came when I was working this was specifically, I think, about in 2019 because I just started working in sex retail. Um, so that, uh, like, suddenly, you know, the world opened up and I was like, oh, not only do I have, like, everything at my disposal, but I have, like, education, I have resources, I have a discount, which was a big thing for me. So, yeah, that I think that was a moment where I was like, oh, these things are possible that I've already been thinking about for a really long time, you know. But I don't think I have, like, an exciting factor of when, like, pain became important to me specifically in a kink way it's always been so present yeah it's a good answer do you, do you remember how you started experimenting with masochism was there any activity you were trying out first for example or yes i i can think of plenty and it's actually it's really interesting that you brought up ballet in the beginning because i started ballet at age three 
So that was wow. something that, yeah, yeah, I was, pain, pain was, pain was a practice, you know, um, my entire childhood and in my, into my teen years. So I think that after, after stopping ballet as something that was just like an extracurricular of some sort, I started reframing those sort of activities into like scenes and whatnot, which became really fun. But honestly, there was no, again, like no inciting factor. It was just like reframing things that I was already doing to be hot, you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So when you were first, you know, now, now the door has been opened, you you realize there's no obstacles in the way. And now you're starting to experiment with, with kink and with kinky pain. Um, what did your relationship with pain look like as you were kind of getting into it for the first time as a consensual kinkster? And then how does it look now? Like what's that evolution been for you? Okay. There's, there's so much here. So initially getting into pain from a kink standpoint was rooted in pure choice. So I think coming out of kink as like a, um, sort of just like a routine, you know, and not something that maybe you put much stock or like emotion into and then reframing it into something that like is an active choice on top of perhaps unrelated daily pains that you're experiencing Mm -hmm. and turning it into a fun activity or a hot activity um, was definitely like something that became intentional. There was something that I was just thinking about in terms of like dance in particular and that that's endurance so as soon as i realized that endurance could be a hot game instead of just something that was like a training aspect (laughs) that changed a lot of the game for me i'm not sure if that answers any part of your question but it's something that's been on my mind a lot lately as far as intention goes that definitely is a great answer because endurance goes hand in hand with masochism, especially on the scale that I see you creating what you're doing with, you know, I like needles, for example, like it, it takes a lot to have 10 poked in you, let alone a hundred plus, you know? And so there's definitely a lot of endurance that comes. And I think that's a great point that you mentioned. I don't think I really dove into what comes along with masochism like that, but endurance is definitely one of those. I mean, it, it can be challenging not only on your body to sit with the pain, but also on your brain, because something that comes up with pain are these like, you know, neurochemical processes of like your brain recognizing danger and telling you you shouldn't be doing this because it's it's self-preservation, yeah. you know. So yeah. endurance is a multifaceted object for sure. Absolutely, endurance has been a main tool for me in choosing pain, specifically in kink. It's a mantra as well for me it's something that especially in very intense very involved and lengthy scenes it is something that i am actively leaning into and telling myself in my head i am choosing this and this is exactly what i want in my head i will literally say things to myself like this is what i've always wanted this is what i want this is what i've been seeking i choose this and all those affirmations ground me in in the pain. I love that you brought up mantra and affirmations with how you go about your masochism practice because yeah. interestingly enough like the the textbook version of sadism is somebody who essentially gets off to pain that's non-consensual and we were talking yeah. about how masochism or sadism that isn't like mutually consented with everyone is just torture at that point. Yeah, so yeah. sitting with like, this is exactly what I want, you know, and what I've wanted mm-hmm. like that, that's really awesome. So I'm happy you said that. Even torture can be exactly what Correct. I want. You know? yeah. And every time I have, especially recently found myself in intense torture scenes, telling myself that this is exactly what I've always wanted and that, I can picture nothing better for myself or that this is what I was built for and that I can take whatever it is, is more affirming than quite literally most experiences that I have had and will continue to have, which is why I continue to seek them out. Yeah. No, definitely. What does it feel like to look back on your art when you've done such high intensity activities and you have that like 
yeah, I'm that bitch moment, you know, what's that feel like? (laughs) Right. I, okay. I love this question because that experience of looking back on art that's been created is what keeps me going on the daily and what keeps me motivated to create new ideas and new extreme art forms. So looking back on paint art, for example, makes me feel like I am reliving almost the exact feelings of being absolutely euphoric, affirmed, high off of the experience of my own endurance as I was in that moment. So being able to look back at my own work and know what I'm capable of makes me feel really proud. It also makes me feel like a fucking freak, which is exactly the point. So (laughs) like being affirmed by my own accomplishments means everything. And then being able to have other people see it and appreciate it for what it is, is like blows my mind because a lot of the times when I create like this stuff, it doesn't get circulated around too much because I, you know, I'm, you are familiar as anyone is about like how difficult it is to like tiptoe around platforms and be worried that like your, yep. your work isn't going to stay there forever. Um, and when it comes down to like work as well, the things that we put on our sites is going to like be seriously limited. So all of the art that I'm like the most proud of isn't anywhere. So it means a lot to me that I personally get to look back on that and relive those experiences and know that I get to still keep creating that regardless of who sees it or, you know, regardless of if people see it now, maybe people will get to see more of it eventually once I find ways to safely get it out and circulate it um, amongst the audiences that it needs to reach and who want to be viewing it and participating in this. But for right now, it serves me so well to be able to look back at my own art. So I'm really, I'm really glad that you asked that because it's something that I do every day, like throughout my day, I'm opening up my camera roll. And if I'm in a rut, I'm looking at my own pictures and I'm like, okay. Yeah. And I feel like more inspired to like get my next thing done. Or sometimes I just need to like pause what I'm doing and like read a chapter of like a book that I'm reading and scroll through my album of sharps and be okay and move on to the next task. It, it is truly a daily practice of me reflecting on my own work. So it's, it, it keeps me going more than most things. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much for sharing that. I, I definitely yeah. share the same opinion about like the not self-preservation, but like self-affirmation that comes with mm. reflecting on the work. So I, I love that you shared that with us. Um, what would you say some of your sources of inspiration are or, or influence are when it comes to your kink and your masochism as a practice? There are plenty. So a lot of them currently have been coming from the literature that I'm reading. So one of the most recent books that I finished um, is Hurt So Good by Lee Cowart. And I'm not sure if I'm saying their name correctly, um, but their name is Lee. And they wrote a book um, called Hurt So Good, The Science of Pain on Purpose, The Science and Culture of Pain on Purpose. Um, And this is covering everything from what you mentioned, like eating hot peppers or dancing or um, running an ultra marathon to nailing your penis through a board, you know? So reading Lee's book was shockingly adjacent to my lifelong experiences through pain practice and then eventually sadomasochism Mm. and so being able to feel less othered I think in my own practices and desires fills me with a lot of motivation to continue practicing them while also being made so much more comfortable in those desires that I actually want to be othered and I want to be alienated from the mainstream (laughs) and then finding more content to consume (laughs) that continues to motivate me and inspire me to do that. So after finishing Lee's book, I went on a a spree and I I actually this morning started a a book um, called The Toy Box on Taboo or something like that. And um and I'm 
consuming all this literature right now that is making my brain so full of inspiration and perversions that I don't know what to do with it. So when that happens, I end up setting them down and then I go uh, through the work of the people that I follow, um, which ends up happening on the daily too. And that is, I mean, that's, that's you. That's, that's all of the people that we're mutuals with, you know, that's, it's, it's a constant influx of inspiration and admiration um, that is endless. And that, that only, that's only part of it. That's only part of where my inspiration is coming from, from like the literature and my mutuals and my friends and people who don't know that I exist, whose work I've followed for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then it's coming from myself as well. I am constantly in search of my next trick, you know, for, for my next act, I will, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I, there is no shortage of inspiration for me. Um, and it, it gets overwhelming, quite honestly. Like I, something that uh, I always tell myself is that I always have like the means for a new book. That's like a rule that I keep for myself. So when I get really, really overwhelmed with how much inspiration I have, I try to sit myself down and just choose one book, something that I can focus all of my like energy and inspiration and like antsiness on and know that like when I'm overwhelmed with inspiration, let's just sit down and handle one thing. And so I have one book that I get to really, really look forward to. I put it on like a wish list. I think about ordering it. And then like when I can't handle it anymore, I get the book. Yeah. So I actually just did that yesterday and I got <sighs> three new books in the mail. So that's something I've been doing a lot for myself. It's just I've I've quite literally been overwhelmed by how inspired I am. So I have to like narrow it down for myself and pick a couple lanes to just like alternate between and yeah keep my head down and maybe even take a break between like scenes I had a really intense November October has been a little more calm for me because I think I got overwhelmed with how happy I was with the pain I was taking um so I think sometimes you just need to take a bit of a breather and refocus and recalibrate and that's what I've been doing this October no that's awesome I, I I honestly love hearing that it truly does get so overwhelming sometimes and you have all this energy and inspiration and it's like being filled with electricity that doesn't know how to get out of your body. At least that's how it feels for me. So I like hearing how you kind of navigate that and how you're always thinking and and that your wheels are consistently turning. That's really cool to hear. I feel like it gives me greater context towards you and your practice. So that's really cool. Thank you. I think that the way that you described it is perfect. Honestly, it does feel like just a surge of electricity. And I think especially if you don't often have all of the outlets immediately around you to bounce these perversions and ideas off of people who are going to echo them back to you or be that sounding board, sometimes it does just get pent up and overwhelming and need a little bit of a break. So I end up I end up journaling a lot about it as well, which is just as beneficial for me so I've I've plenty of tools <laughs> <laughs> sure no I, I love that for you yeah. um, as far as your masochistic practice and in practice I mean like the activities in which you go about you know engaging with masochism uh, whether that's impact play trampling etc when mm-hmm. did you start moving from more straightforward stuff to more advanced things such as uh, sharps play, for example, like went along your journey, you know, saying you came into it with no obstacles at 2019. When would you say you started getting into the higher intensity and higher awareness activities? Okay, yeah, that's a great question. So I, I think I became very aware that participating, like actively participating in kink was possible for me just last year. So I, I ended up making a move um, and it was a really good move for me. So I'm in a city now where I am surrounded by more like-minded people, which has made all the difference in both my like personal um, like vanilla life and in my kink life. So getting to actually like meet a couple people around me who were searching to become active in hard kink as well made a huge difference so I've since like since my move I've made a couple good friends who are local as well who are actively invested in my pain and invested in educating themselves on how to deliver it so 
when I met these people for the first time, it was at a really good time in my life um, and in a good time in theirs. So um, some of these new friends of mine had just taken like some like workshops, had just taken some like sharps classes, et cetera, had been searching for needle bottoms. I had been looking to get into this, didn't know where to start, had been practicing on myself, was kind of bored, you know, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and out really well. So being able to slowly make those connections with like-minded people who were interested um, in extreme pain in those ways and were willing to one get to know me and then two get to trust me with my pain um, has made a huge difference so now I have a pretty small group of really good friends who are well practiced um, really informed and do a great job with communicating with me about like my pain, my goals, my boundaries, um, and what I want. So um, I think the last year has been especially enriching. Um, My move has made that possible. I wasn't really in a headspace to want to seek that out before. So now that I have been, I've allowed myself to, and being able to practice both independently and then with people that I trust has been so great for me in ways that I didn't expect um, this move to make possible. So hmm. I think definitely in the last year, um, extreme kink has been more of an active practice for me. It's something that for the last, I would say, it's been almost this February, it'll be five years that I've been either actively working in the sex industry or, you know, I started in like sex retail back in the day and uh, at the beginning of 2019. So I've ever since then I've taught plenty of workshops I've I've taught classes I've you know I've I've taught I've taught a lot of people except myself and so in the last year I've finally dedicated <laughs> myself to that and yeah. it's been really good for me so yeah yeah I think the last the last year definitely has allowed me to become a lot more active in extreme kink and it's it's snowballed from there I'm really excited to continue on this journey there's like the best is yet to come, like truly. And I, I can't even imagine what the best is because I've had a really enriching year. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to hear that things are just kind of lining up and doors are continuing to open and create these new pathways. I'm excited to vicariously see where they, where they take you. So that, that's really cool. Thank you. Um, how do you feel that both in the kink community and in the world at large, respectively? How do you think that masochists are viewed? And then do you think there's anything about that view that should be changed? Sure. Yeah. I think that one of the views that affects me the most and I'm sure affects fellow sadomasochists the most is the relation of self-harm to masochism Mm. and it's a shame because that's most of the comments that i'll see online on my work and others if it wanders outside of the community within the community there is so much support and there's admiration it's it's invigorating the support you know from our peers and from fellow sex workers and fellow kinksters it is so invigorating but as soon as you find yourself outside of that community people get really confused and really scared and they get very brazen so i think it it just becomes a shame when you're scrolling through comments online of incredible work and people are sounding off um about mutilation (laughs) and it's there's there's definitely a lack of empathy um towards extreme artists um and what we do and our motivations behind it there are a lot of assumptions that exist too um i i remember the first professional play piercing that i did with dana marie dracula um 2.0 um that's where you can find them on instagram uh they are based in jacksonville florida but will guest around the country and so the first time that she came to la um, we like made a couple TikToks together that ended up on their platform online and it was circulating everywhere. Um, and it still is, it, it, it's been almost a year and it's still going around. 
and people are losing their minds over this throat corset that we did, an arm corset down my forearms. I had a row of needles across my forehead, and then I had two fans of um, needles on, on my cheeks. People were losing their minds, saying things like, therapy would hurt less and I'm and I'm I'm in my room laughing like not not too affected more just amused but also bummed because I'm like my therapist was actually really excited for me <laughs> um to book with this piercer my therapist couldn't wait to hear about it my therapist when I sat down the week after when I was still bloody and scabby said to me I'm so glad that you told me that you were doing this because never would I have considered this to be something that could be used in addition to talk therapy and to serve the same purpose mm -hmm. and I told her me neither and I'm yeah. glad that I know it now and I'm gonna keep doing it yeah. <laughs> and she she was only ever supportive and excited for me so I think it's it's very curious that people are so brave online to psychoanalyze other people's perhaps non-existent traumas that they have towards themselves um, without being able to see that this is actually just it's like a hobby that someone may or may not have and you may or may not have it, but it, it definitely bumps me out because I see other artists who are very much affected and it's, it's unfair and it would really make our lives easier if people didn't have those opinions because then we wouldn't have to fear our content being deleted. We wouldn't have to worry about the negative pushback, et cetera. I can go on. I'm preaching to the choir. But I think that would be the main thing I would wish to change just publicly um, in people's opinions towards masochists, because it's not rooted in the assumptions that people, you know, perceive. And it's going to be different for everyone. There's no point in making a comment that you have no backing to. So, yeah, yeah the, the best thing that you can do is just like, not be bothered <laughs> which I I tend to not be I just like I, I feel for other people when they are so that that bothers me more than anything than anyone could ever comment on my stuff it, it truly neither here or there to me personally sure. <laughs> but it, it does bum me out for others yeah I definitely hear you I think it's unfortunate that being artists at this caliber and even just being sex workers at a base level mm -hmm. requires such a degree of thick skin just to yeah not even be successful just to get by you know yeah. and i i do agree that it's a shame that people on the outside of this community seem to like 180 compared to where we oh, yeah. within the community are so it, it's good to get your your viewpoint on that i really appreciate that you answered and, and also i think that was a good question to show anyone listening along you know yeah thank you for asking it i there's there's so much I could say about it. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm glad that you asked. <laughs> as far as the actual process of sitting in pain, you know, because I know what my yes. body looks like. I know what my brain looks like when I'm being hurt. But in your experience, yeah. what does it feel like for you to sit with these varying degrees of pain and endorphins, and then subsequently ride that process out with the endurance in mind over a long period of time? Like what? What does it look like for you? I love this question um, because it looks a very certain way. Um, and it, it looks a certain way starting from before the pain even begins. So usually my process of sitting through pain begins the day before I know I'm even experiencing it. And this this is, I'm talking, you know, a, a scene or something I've arranged that I know I'm expecting, I'm looking forward to. Um, so usually the day before I know that I'll be sitting for something pretty intense, I have already been priming my brain for it. Usually that looks like eating something that's good for me. Usually that looks like watching some videos that make me feel some kind of way or listening to like a podcast that I know is going to put me in a really good headspace. Um, getting in bed and like setting those intentions for like a good painful next day you know and when I'm finally in it my brain is more present I feel like than I usually am I am so grounded in my physical experience and I am leaning into every bit of the pain that I can in the same way that maybe like sitting for a tattoo I am it 
it looks really similar inside of my brain. It is full commitment. It's something that I've been looking forward to for probably weeks, you know, at this point, if it's something big like this, it's something that like, I am so glad to, to like be choosing in that moment for an extended amount of time, something that I'm like committing to so intentionally. It is very focused in my brain. It is so, so committal. And I don't sense that fierce commitment with most other things. It is unbreakable. I I think I it's that sort of commitment that makes it hard for me to picture like when people tap out of a tattoo, for example, or I I can't imagine, you know, stopping halfway through a really involved play piercing if I know that I'm capable of it. Something that like I really appreciate is being able to adapt to my circumstances so it's not it's not about ignoring your limits it's about grounding my own brain and knowing what I am and I'm not capable of and accepting what I am and so inside my brain it is probably the most stoic I will ever find myself my body I think is also very focused but very tense <laughs> i i find it very hard to relax my whole body when i'm taking immense pain because my greatest priority is sitting really well and sitting really still for pain if that's what i'm meant to be doing for like ex- for example like a play piercing where i want to be like sitting really still and being like being a good boy and making the job as easy as possible um so I am, I'm focused in brain and body in a way that I am as still as humanly possible, but very tense and very focused Um, and not in a bad way at all, just like in an extremely present way. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And very grateful to be there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Sure. Very, very grateful. Yeah. It's cool to hear that your practice involves such a caliber of mindfulness and awareness I I feel like living in this kind of day and age now everything moves super fast and attention spans are poor and it's hard to really sit I mean I I think that particularly in our country the United States our spiritual awareness is kind of out of whack and I bring that up specifically because some spiritual practices involve high degrees of awareness, like Buddhism, for example, which is something I've practiced on and on in my life, focuses mm-hmm. more on just being exactly where you are, however you are, at every fucking moment, you know? And I think that's something a lot of people can improve on, and I think it makes it that much more impressive when you're able to be so present, while yet you're sitting through something that is discomforting at a base level, you know? I think it shows a high level of commitment uh, to a wide variety, not not only yourself, but to the people you're engaging with, to the activity itself, to the art in any mediums that it gets shared through, and to the process of masochism. So that that's really cool to hear, you know, just from your end. I really like that. Yeah, I, I really like your perspective as well on being as present as humanly possible. <laughs> because that is exactly what it is yeah it is like it's it's as if you know if you were being pierced with a 10 gauge needle for example it is as if in that moment you are in the hollow needle seeing how your flesh is being displaced in that moment like Mm. you are as close as you can possibly be to the experience you know and that's Mm -hmm that's what I try to achieve with my pain. Sure. No, I I love that. If you could have the opportunity to give a younger you a piece of advice about his journey into kink or into masochism respectively, uh, Mm -hmm. what would that be? Do you even have anything that you'd rather give as advice, you know? Wow. Okay. That's, that's a fantastic question because I'm not, I'm not even sure if I have advice for a younger me only because I'm really happy with where I ended up in kink and especially hard kink at the point of my life that I, that I am and that I did. 
Um, I would, I would say to my younger self, if anything, that in exploring kink, taboo is meant to be explored and possibly even indulged in. And there are ways to educate yourself on how to do that instead of waiting to be educated. I think there were a lot of curiosities when I first started working in the industry that I waited for clarification on instead of seeking them out. The tools are there. So if anything, I think that I could have started my own like self-education a lot earlier, but I am really grateful for the resources that I did have when I was like, you know, 18, 19, starting out in the industry. But now I, again, I am really satisfied with where I am um, and where, and, and, you know, where, where I've arrived at this point in my life. I don't feel like I owe my younger self anything in particular when it comes to my kink journey. Um, as a masochist, Specifically, though, I do wish I could tell myself that when we get to choose our pain, we will feel so good about it. Um, I'm someone that lives with chronic pain and I have since 2012. So I think that the choice in pain was not something that even really crossed my mind as something that could be healthy until well into my adulthood. Um, and that's something that I, I wish I could give my younger self a little bit of like, like clarity on, but again, I've now arrived and I'm still arriving at this place where like, that has only been good for me. And at, at this point in my life, and I'm very happy with the tools that I've collected since first starting out that have allowed me to do that. So I, I do wish that I had known what was coming. So I could have had a little more hope and a little more education with that, but I'm so grateful to have the resources that have been allowing me to choose pain in such constructive ways for me, especially as someone who like, wasn't sure if I would ever be like mentally and physically healthy, you know? That was a really great answer. And, and going off the note, cause you brought up uh, that you do live in chronic pain. How does chronic pain play into your masochism and what you choose to do along those lines because like for example i mm -hmm. also have chronic pain and i definitely think it dictates mm -hmm. a lot of the how and the what's that go into the weird and unique things that i choose to do with this little meat sack of mine so i'm curious yes. to see how it plays a role for you yes i'm i'm actually i'm grateful that you brought that up because i'm, I'm curious to know how it presents for you um as well i it's a, it's a very significant thing for people um, like us who live with chronic pain, because I'm sure as you can relate to, it does inform how we practice kink. So um, I'm, I'm someone who, who has, I have a knee syndrome that no one's ever heard of. It's called Plica syndrome. It's P-L-I-C-A. Um, and basically the, the syndrome develops when the plica, which is a form of like, it's a piece of fetal connective tissue on the inside wall of your knee. And it, and, and the plica it usually either completely goes away or greatly diminishes in size during early development. Um, and the syndrome develops when it doesn't. And then the plica gets either pinched in between the femur and patella, or it gets snagged on the femur. And then it starts to rub and irritate and, you know, it hurts. So I, when I was a, a freshman in high school, I got into just a, a bad track accident. Um, it was my first day of track and field and I just ate shit so hard and I guess during that accident since I you know after the fact it never healed and we didn't know why I it turned out that um I had plica syndrome and we only discovered it after I went in for a knee arthroscopy which is basically you know just an exploratory surgery in which they discovered I had the syndrome they removed the plica which had been pinched between my kneecap and my femur all that time and um the surgery didn't end up doing much. <laughs> so they didn't go into my other knee to remove the plica. I say all this because I lived on crutches for a year and then in knee braces for six years. And I was in and out of physical therapy to rehab my leg because after surgery, all the muscles in my right leg atrophied. So I had a noodle leg 
I was super skinny and it was wobbling every time I walked. I walked with a heavy limp for years. And so as someone who has had to rehab the muscles around my knee and build it up and now I don't have an atrophied leg, blah, 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 blah. I now in the kink that I do, I I do have to be very mindful about sustained positions that I'm in, whether or not I'm on my knees. I have to be really mindful about letting my scene partners know if maybe something needs to shift just because something is no longer good for me that was at the beginning of the scene anything can change um and that's just something that is part of my risk profile so I participate in things that fit my risk profile and that risk profile is subject to change and that is okay and I am very communicative about that so Mm -hmm. now I'm at a point in my life where you know it's been you know it's been I've lived like half my life with a knee syndrome that has actively affected me. So I have plenty of, you know, coping mechanisms and tools around me, but that doesn't mean that I don't live with the daily chronic pain that comes with it. I have way stronger muscles than I used to. I have new braces to use when I need them. But when it comes to intense kink, um, it really does inform how I shape and block my scenes out. Um, That being said, it truly doesn't, affect me in the ways that one might think it does in my day-to-day life and with kink I feel like maybe that just has to do with like pain management you know and being used to having the body that you do Um, but another part of it might just be that I've learned to take pain in ways that have nothing to do with like my knees hurting some days you know and that works out totally fine Um, it's something that I'm always aware of because it's hard to not be aware of something that hurts around the clock, but being, being aware of what your body is like capable of and what I can do on any given day, it it makes a difference. And I work with it. It is frustrating at times, but I have, I, you know, I spent, I spent a good, good many years, you know, being, being frustrated. So I feel like I'm at a, I'm at a point in my life where I can now just take what I have and run with it, so to speak, um, without ignoring my own limitations. It's, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with how juggling that looks. <laughs> Unfortunately so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm happy to hear that you're able to just run with it like this now. I, I do my best. I do my best to be realistic with it um, and you know, I'm, I'm sure I sound very positive about it and I feel very positively about it. And that doesn't mean that it, it doesn't affect me quite a lot, but I am a very realistic and positive person when it comes to my own pain um, and pain management. Uh, <laughs> it's, it is, it's something that is on my mind all the time because how could it not be? <laughs> you know, it's yeah, one of those things. A hundred percent. No, I, yeah. I really fucking hear you there. Yeah, I I'd love to switch gears for a second and kind yeah. of dive a little more focused onto needle play. If that sounds good to you, I would love to. Yes, I would love to talk about needles. Yes. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. Because when I think of you, I I just think needles at this point because I, you do some really so fucking cool. <laughs> awesome stuff, and so I think it'd be really fun to talk Thank about you. this. Um, Thank you. What yeah. was your What was your first exposure to play piercings, uh, if you remember, or, or like what was what drew you into the world of piercing as a form of play, not just like in a body mod sense? Yes. Okay. So I so play piercing as a form of like play and not just like piercings that you keep in um, was introduced to me on YouTube years and years and years ago and I fell down a rabbit hole where I consumed every bit of content that I could find on YouTube um and that never stopped for me so up so I I think about a year ago I became particularly um interested in trying it out didn't know where to start with that and so since I had spent so long with like curating my own like playlists of my favorite videos of play piercings and or like hook pulls etc online that I would just like I would just like lay in bed and loop like until I fell asleep um, because it did something for me that I couldn't really understand after I'd spent a lot of time doing that and I was like okay clearly clearly this is something that 
I'm very interested in and I'm not sure why, but I'm so drawn to it that I, I need to experience something having to do with this. I started following accounts um, on Instagram and Twitter. Um, so I, you know, had my favorite play piercers over the years. And then I decided after all of that, so I'd had all this inspiration. I'd had my favorite pieces of media. I was like, okay, maybe I do really want to try this out on myself. Um, Cause at the time I didn't know anyone else who was into needles or play piercing. And so I did my research, ordered the sizes that I wanted, um, which were just, I ordered like maybe an inch and a half, like 20 gauge uh, hypodermic needles online. And I had planned a date with myself. So this was last year. So 2022 Valentine's Day. So at the beginning of February, I was like, I'm going to take myself out on a date this year. And it's going to be a blood date. And so I had planned this at-home scene for myself for Valentine's Day where I set up like a medical scene. And I had this like specific idea of hooking needles and like weaving them through this like ornate kneecap tattoo that I have um and when I got my kneecap tattooed I knew that I thought that needles going through it would look really cool and I never knew why I thought that and so I was like well I'm just gonna try it because that image has been stuck in my head for so so long so I was like this is gonna be the date I'm like finally gonna like realize this vision and so I did. And I, I had planned out an entire date of like endurance for myself. And so basically the date had an itinerary. <laughs> and so I sat down on my bed and I had my sharps laid out. And I said I was going to do at least two minimum, three ideal. I feel really good about the number three. If I can get there, I'll feel really hot, you know. And so I did. And then I moved on to like a test of endurance for myself where I like, I stood up and I tried to like bend my leg all the way back, like you're in PE, you know, doing a stretch and like put as much tension against the needles um, and against my like knee as I could and feel the needles under my skin with my fingers and move them around and wiggle them. And I just tried to be as much in the experience as I could because I wanted to be present for my date. <laughs> and then I removed them and I bled and I took pictures and I felt really cute and really good about it and it was the best valentine's day i've ever had and after that I, I it was probably about like a week later um that my favorite play piercer that i'd followed online dana um announced that she was going to guest in la and it was her first time so i hopped on the opportunity and never looked back so that appointment that i had with dana happened in May, I believe, of this year. And so I had I had all of that to look forward to. Um, we did that together. It was incredible. And then I just kept doing it recreationally in between like booking with her um, whenever she would guest here in LA. So um, yeah, that that was that was where it all started was Valentine's Day last year. <laughs> and I made a commitment to myself and I've upheld it ever since. <laughs> I love that. I mean, I, I got to admit, you're totally making me rethink Valentine's Day as a concept now. Um, <laughs> that, that's fucking awesome. I mean, wow, what a what a way to start getting your hands just dirty with something. Yes. You know, I really love yes. that for you so fucking much. Um, Thank you so much. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> I, so we've mentioned Dana Marie Dracula twice now, and I'm curious yes. to see if there are any other piercers that you're really fond of or that you simply might just want to recommend uh, for continued education. Oh my gosh, I would love to. Okay, so obviously you can find you can find the piercer that I book with um, most often at Dana underscore Marie underscore Dracula 2.0 on Instagram. She's been zucked plenty of times. That's why <laughs> the user is the way that it is. Um, I also would really recommend I Like to Poke Holes 2.0. Um, that's a piercer named Mel Sprinkle, who's based in Washington, I believe. I think specifically Seattle. I could be wrong. Um, Soon she's going to be guesting in San Francisco and Sacramento, which is pretty sick. I don't think that's happened before, um, but 
Mel Sprinkle does incredible, huge sets on people. So she has a couple skin donors that she tends to work with most often. So if you end up following her on Instagram, you'll see a lot of the same skin. And it's so impressive, the sets that they do together. So I would recommend that account as well. Um, If I think of others, I am like happy to like send them to you as well. So you can like include them in any show notes. Um, But those are the two that I followed for the longest amount of time. They're the largest sources of my inspiration when it comes to really involved um, sets and play piercings. Um, Dana is particularly innovative when it comes to her art. It is absolutely incredible. Um, I also would recommend a couple of our mutuals um, that I found through Dana. Um, Nightmare Vex on Instagram, uh, Coral Carnival, and Mystic Mods. Um, Those are some of my absolute favorite play piercing accounts, and I consistently learn a lot from them. So I'll I'll plug them until uh, the end of the earth, uh, and I look forward to seeing uh, the work that they continue to do. I know that uh, I know that they're collabing again soon, uh, which is really exciting. I'm really looking forward to see what they put out because it's always something absolutely wild and yeah. Really impressive. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, thanks for sharing. I, I always love hearing who people look up to or admire the work of when they're creating. I feel like it, it tells a lot about the process, about the person, the personality. The yeah. you know, it, it's just cool to hear. I actually was at a uh, needle class just last night or two days ago at my oh. dungeon here in town and we were talking about Mel Sprinkles and about Dana and so it's cool to see that these people are translating in and out of their own communities you know that across that's incredible. I wonder if they even locations, know you know yeah, yeah I, I yeah. think that's really neat um, just to see how far the the thread goes you know yeah, can I ask how that class was? Oh, yeah, it was great. So it was a part one of a two-part series. The next class is actually next Saturday. So oh, the so first cool. class was a beginner-slash-intermediate needle course. Uh, it mm-hmm. was really cool. We had two people very prominent in our local scene who ran the show. The piercing top, Master Trent, has been piercing for 25 years now. So it was really cool to learn from kind of an older player in the industry and and get that experience and then his submissive kelly has been a piercing bottom for 13 years now too so they worked really well and they worked with another demo bottom too which was really cool and a lot of the information was reviewed for me and i still learned from it because you can hear the same thing 10 times but it's going to come at you 10 different ways you know Absolutely. So that was really cool. And I got some really awesome inspiration for a needle idea. I Yesterday, we watched Trent put uh, two needles vertically into the bottom's breasts. So they're very wow. well endowed. And so these needles are standing straight out of their breast ducts with wow. uh, birthday candles inside the hub yeah. of the hypodermic needle. And they... they lit them on fire you know and so we were discussing how to advance sensation play with needles in unique ways and i gotta tell you i've never seen candles in needles before and so that was really fucking cool okay ray i have to tell you that one of the videos that i have saved for years now and this is this is the video that i've used as like a pre-pain ritual (laughs) involves something of this liking where there's this there's this guy and it's his like 26th birthday or something and all of his homies gather around for a big play piercing and hook pulling session and so they line both of his forearms with rows of needles and they wedge birthday candles in all of the hubs they light them all on fire and then they throw hooks in his back and everyone's taking turns with them you know (laughs) yanking on him and then at the very end he has like you know like wax all over his arms and blows out the candles and everyone is singing him happy birthday and i shit you not this video made me cry this was the first thing that made me cry on tea in like years wow. I this video and i was like i was like i need this i want this for myself and it was before i had ever like experienced any like 
intense draw towards play piercing and it was the it was the candles and the hubs that did it (laughs) oh i'll have to have you send me that yeah just for some continued education you know that's that's awesome video too it's so old and it's like there's some cheesy like music over it (laughs) so it's so funny but it's so good and i saw it and i was like i I need that to be my life. Yeah. And that's what started it all. <laughs> that, that, that's awesome. I, I love that I can, I can hear this. Yeah, no, that's fucking awesome. Oh, man. Yeah, how exciting. Speaking of revolutionary and speaking of creativity, I got to say I've seen some real creativity through some of your scenes, specifically this last one that I, I saw you had posted publicly. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to have you kind of set us up contextually for what the scene was for people who haven't seen it. And then I'd love to hear about what it felt like being the pin cushion through it. Cause I, I, I'm not gonna lie. I just was staring at my fucking phone when I saw this photo. So like, wow, they are so hot. <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you. Are, are you referring to the hog tie? I am. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, first of all, thank you so much. Um, because speaking of crying, actually, um, and you're going to think that I, I cry all the time because I'm now talking about two instances that I'm crying, but I actually, these are the two times I've cried maybe in the last <laughs> like, few years, which is why they're significant. But that, that scene was actually the first scene to make me cry ever. Um, so that's, that's the context oh. you need. Um, the, the scene was a layered multimodal pain hogtie situation so i'll break it down basically um my my good friend here and i had decided that we wanted to create a hogtie using needles um and chains so we we went to home depot we picked out what we wanted like good home depot days do we went home sterilized them and basically what we did is we hogtied my wrists and ankles together with the chain but we locked the chain into my flesh by threading the needles through my through the chain link then through my flesh and then through another chain link and then we would do another leaf needle facing the opposite direction after like another cuff of the chain was wrapped around me um and then we'd do the same thing on the other wrist and then do that on my ankles and then for extra security, I was hogtied on top of that with another layer of rope. Um, and then we had a chain leash, if you can picture this, attached to the middle of the chain hogtie. So where my wrists and ankles were connected, um, we had a chain leash where you could tug on it. So every time that you tugged on the leash, it would lift up all of the needles that were interlocking the chains. Um, into me so it was just it was fucked up essentially it was just it was horrible <laughs> horrific um, and inescapable <laughs> so the first time that I had one been hogtied it was also the first time that I had ever been in someone else's rope I had only ever tied myself so it was um, two kind of major firsts for me that we had spent the entire week practicing for the full scene uh so this actually uh this took i think about two separate practice days leading up to the full uh scene so the first day that we practiced this we just practiced my wrists so i had had my wrists pierced uh plenty of times before in some of the prior uh marionette scenes that we were doing uh so i was familiar enough with how that was going to feel we just didn't know the placement on my wrist that would be best for the chains and it's a good thing that we practiced because where we initially pierced me was actually the opposite of where we landed on the final day uh, because of placement. So we practiced on various sides of my wrists. And then the second day, we practiced uh, rope. And then the final day, we put it all together. So it was wretched in the best way. I cannot describe... <laughs> the strength it took me to get through just four ankle needles which 
made me feel funny and shy at the time when we were doing the scene because the prior week I had just taken 80 to the throat and 12 of those were 10 gauges and all of these were just measly 20 gauges and I was crying on the floor um and it was it was so painful um and so secure and I actually after you know having the needles in for such a time and you know I, you, you know how it is when you reach a certain threshold of pain where it's just, it's all the same and you're just happy. And so I, I actually was, I was on my stomach in the hog tie rocking back and forth. I'll have to send you this video because I have a funny like blooper, but I'm yeah. like a rocking horse trying to get my momentum up. Like when you're on a swing set, <laughs> I'll have to send it to you. It's really funny. Um, and I was just, I was having the time of my life and on the floor, on this puppy pad, sobbing <laughs> laughing <laughs> in this hog tie um and we did a really good job checking in the entire time so i i felt like not only really accomplished by the end of it for like taking the pain that i did but really accomplished with like the communication through the whole scene and the way that we had dedicated the entire week to practice and it it felt it felt really impressive by the end of it we were like really proud of such a fucked scene uh going going as well as it did and we we both want to do it again uh for sure because that was you know the first full run of it and usually when we get really excited about a good scene that we've put together or planned or practiced it ends up happening again because we enjoy it so much and that's what ended up happening with like you know the prior marionette scenes and whatnot we just we love it so much we can't stop and you know we keep perfecting it or changing it and so this time with the with the chains and the rope and and the needles i i can only imagine how it'll, it'll get more fucked up from here but we i'm i'm really proud of that one I, thank you for bringing it up i i'm still like shocked that it made me cry honestly it, it was so funny because by the end of it total it was only two four six eight needles eight needles and i was inconsolable you know I was yeah <laughs> and it, it has everything to do with the torture i think what we what i didn't show online actually is um uh additional torture that happened on top of it so when i had been yanked around by the leash for a little while we actually hooked up uh, a violet wand which is uh, my favorite oh, Eastim so device. Fun. Yeah. And so we ended up using a bunch of our like spiked, you know, stainless steel Wartenberg wheels. And I was, I was in so much pain and I'd been crying. So I was, I was drenched in sweat. And when I started getting shocked, since I was so wet, it electrocuted my whole body at once. And so I was just like on the floor, flailing, screaming as it's like shooting through the needles, shooting through the chains, going all up and down my sweaty back. I was like, I was beside myself with like the physical sensations I was experiencing. I had never been tortured quite like it. I'd had plenty of needle play, plenty of e-sims. We had even combined I've, you know, done Eastim on needles in my flesh before, but there was, there was something about the tension maintained by the hog tie, the chain leash, and the tension on the needles with the Eastim that yeah. pushed me over the edge, and it was, I felt so lucky. <laughs> that's, that's fucking awesome, and I, I think that yeah. anyone fucking listening sees why I'm such a simp for you and what you do, because, like, <laughs> talk about masochism adoration, like, holy fuck. <laughs> That is, right. it's intense. And I love that you mentioned how much off-scene time it took to prepare and that you dedicated to practice and communicate and figure out how to make the scene work. I, I think that that's a great part of the reality of bringing activities like this to life that I love to highlight because it's not always heard or seen, you know? Yes. yes. That's, that's really cool. I think cool. practice and ritual is a big part of masochism for me. And so whenever like rehearsal like this tends to happen, there is a part that feels very ritualistic to me as well. It's all like, you know, this is culminating towards, you know, the goal and then the goal is achieved and we're, we're building towards the next thing. And it's, it, it feels sacred to me yeah. in, in plenty of different ways. Yeah. I, I love that. Um, before I, I get any further hot and bothered just having listened to all of that, I wanted to ask you something that I'll be asking everyone who does a guest interview with me on the podcast. Okay. And 
I'll give you the same preface I'll give everyone else. It's a question that you might not have an answer to, and I'll count that okay. as an answer. Um, okay. So in reference to us as a kink community, what is something that you think we could improve across the board? And this could be anywhere in kink, and you also don't have to have an answer. Okay, yeah. Um, I think this is a difficult one because there are plenty, there, there's plenty of room for improvement in, in so many areas. I think that's something I would possibly like to see more of, if I can frame it like that, is more visibility uh, from each other, of each other. I think that that's the one of the best ways that our art will circulate to the communities that deserve to see it and that we create it for other than and in, and in addition to ourselves. And we are going to be the best purveyors of that. So I think I would love to continue seeing that because I already do. I would love to see more of that. I love that you asked me who my current inspirations are because I, I love when I find new people to admire and follow and work to consume. So I would love to just keep continuing to see that, see more of it. Like I said, we are the ones who can do it best. So I think that I, I often spend a lot of time lamenting about how I can't find the freaks. The freaks need to find us. So I think mm -hmm. if we just keep, if we keep our art out there, the freaks will find us. Yeah. That was very eloquently put. Thank you so much for for answering that. I, I, I respect and also agree with that point. I, I think that it's important to be able to find our own and increase just overall presence from one another to and with one another in the community. So I'm really glad that you mentioned that. Thank you. I'm glad that you asked. Yeah. Jay, I just, I want to thank you again so much for taking time out of your life to come and talk masochism and needles with me. I, this has been so much fun and such a wonderful discussion. I feel like I learned a lot for myself and I feel like I learned a lot more about you. And I think that's really cool because you're somebody who is pretty close to me in my own like personal circle and professional sphere. So I, I like getting more context into you and, and how, what, what all makes you tick. So thank you so much for talking about all these things that we're both so wonderfully passionate for. This has been a blast. Thank you so much for having me. I Like I said, I've looked forward to this ever since you brought it up. And I can't wait to see more of what you do, both with this and in your personal work. Um, I was I was nervous because I admire you so much. And I, I'm so glad that we, we got to talk because I feel, I, I feel really invigorated um, getting to, just getting to know you and your work. Um, and I'm I'm really excited that you're going to be putting out your conversations with everyone else. I'm I I truly cannot wait to see what you do. Oh well, thank you so much. That that certainly extends to you as well. Likewise, I I'm I'm happy and blessed to have people of your caliber in my life and and in my work sphere and and personal sphere. So so thank you just for being you. I appreciate you. I appreciate you too. Thank you for being in my circle. Of course. 